going to ask you to get your Bibles. We're going to look John chapter 5 in the, new, the Bible this morning. So if you want to turn with me, John chapter 5, it's the fourth gospel, fourth book of the New Testament. Uh, we're going to just read a, a few verses. We're going to pick up at verse 36, read through verse 39 together this morning. John 5, verse 36 it says, but I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. And let's have prayer together. Lord, will you bless this morning and help us to have understanding. We, we want to thank you for the opportunity of just being able to look at things that we believe. And Lord, as we look at the person of Jesus Christ today, may you just allow your word to take life and may you just help us to be able to know truth. And will help us to recognize who Jesus is. Bless each one today that's listening. And may you be honored and glorified. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 1893, Chicago hosted the World's uh, Columbia Expo. 21 million people visited the exhibit. The World Parliament of Religion invited different representatives to come and share the best point of each religion. Well, D.L. Moody jumped at the chance. Now, many people wanted D.L. Moody to be able to criticize uh, the, the world parliament and to criticize the other religions. But that's not what D.L. Moody did. Instead, he was excited and he invited evangelists from all over the country to come to Chicago. He placed them on street corners and had them preaching on streets. They rented tents, set up our buildings and set up tents and churches for people to preach the gospel. And D.L. Moody said, for Christianity, we just need to be able to tell them about Jesus. And once they hear about Christ, the Lord can do the rest. You know, when the, this nation was founded, we were a Christian nation, but we didn't outlaw other religions. And you know why? Because our founding fathers said, well, whenever you hear the truth, people will respond to the truth. They'll know it's the truth. And we don't have nothing to fear from these other religions. Moody was right. Thousands of people over that time period gave their lives to Christ. It changed the world. We need to be able to, uh, to do just that to be able to understand that Jesus Christ is the answer to changing the world. I told somebody a few weeks ago that the Bible is actually centered on Jesus Christ. He is the central figure of the Bible. Not just the Bible, He's the central figure of history. But somebody said to me, well, wait a second. I understand about the New Testament, but the Old Testament? How can Jesus be the central figure of the Old Testament? He said, I don't believe that. You need to re-look at the Old Testament. Jesus is the central figure of the whole Bible. And you can see him throughout the Old Testament. 
And so let's just take a few moments to take a look at, at, at this being true. Jesus is the central figure of the Old Testament, and you can see it in three different ways. First, you go back and you look in the Old Testament, you can see types or shadows that point to Christ. Now, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, verse 25, there is Thomas seeing Jesus, Jesus appearing to him after the resurrection, and he tells Thomas, he said, Thomas, come and put your uh, hands into the prints of the nails of my hand. Now, what Jesus is doing, he's not saying, Thomas, come and see the nails because the nails are gone. He's saying, come to the print. Look at these prints that are evidence that the nails were there. That word print is the word, it's also translated as type. And so in the Old Testament, what we have are types. Typology is what it's called. Types or shadows of Jesus that point to him. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's actually Jesus, but it actually teaches us about Christ. And you can see uh, truths about Christ throughout it. And so in the Old Testament, I'm talking about all over the place. There's types and shadows of Christ. We're going to look at a couple in just a moment. Then we see prophecies. There's over 300 prophecies or more found about Jesus Christ about the Messiah in the Old Testament. So all over the Old Testament, you see prophecies. And then there's appearances. See, we know Jesus is God because there's appearances. They're called theophanies, appearances of God. Or some people will call them because they know it's Christ, Christophanies. Jesus appearing actually before His birth in the Old Testament. Let's take a look at maybe a couple of those places this morning, for example, in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, right at the beginning. Adam and Eve is sin. And remember, they covered themselves. They realized they're naked. They covered themselves with fig leaves. And then what's God do? God ends up giving them skins to cover them. In other words, animal blood had to be shed. Ken Ham says he thinks it was a, a lamb. <laughs> And so blood had to be shed so that they could be covered with the skin. That blood, that sacrifice, points to Christ. And so anytime in the Old Testament, you see a lot of it, sacrifice is being made, animal sacrifice, blood being shed by the animal for forgiveness of sin, it points to Jesus. Remember John, the Baptist, when he saw Christ, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, the, the, the lambs that were shed, especially on the Day of Atonement, at Passover, they all point to Christ. So they're a typology of Christ. In Genesis 3, you also see a prophecy. There, Jesus points out about Satan. So in Genesis 3.15, for example, he said to Satan, the, the serpent... I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. First prophecy in the Bible about Jesus. Seed of the woman, virgin born. 
And Jesus would be the one that would defeat Satan and would do so from the cross. Actually, what about appearance of Jesus? Well, in Genesis 3.9, you hear the Lord God call to them, Where are you? Now, when God speaks many times in the Old Testament or appears, it's actually Christ that appears. And so many people believe right there, that's the voice of Jesus, an appearance of Him. Genesis 22, you have Abraham being told to take Isaac and to offer him as a sacrifice. Isaac is a type, in this case, of Jesus. He was born miraculously. His parents late and were too old to have children. And then he's to be sacrificed, pointing to Christ, a type of Christ. There's also prophecy. Abraham said in verse 24, speaking of the Mount uh, Moriah, he was getting ready to offer him as a sacrifice, and, a, and he was stopped, and there was a ram there. Abraham said this. He said, he called the place, the Lord will provide. And then it says, it is said to this day, it is the mount of the Lord where God shall provide. By the way, Mount Moriah is the very place in which Jerusalem would be built. And it is the very place, Mount Calvary, where Jesus would be crucified, and so the place in which God ultimately provided. And when Abraham's ready to take the knife and to sacrifice his son, Abraham hears a voice. And the Bible tells us it is the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is a reference, most people believe, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you'll hear, see that in, throughout the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, he appeared to Abraham, Hagar, Moses, all appearances of Christ. So what am I telling you? I'm saying Jesus is all over the Old Testament. You see types or shadows of Him. You'll see prophecies talking about Him and the Messiah. And then you'll also see Christophanies or appearances of Christ. Remember Joshua, before he was going to the battle of Jericho, the uh, head of the Lord's army appeared to him. And Joshua bows down. He didn't stop him. Angels, regular angels would say, don't worship me. But that's not a regular angel. That's an appearance of Christ. And so we see the Old Testament, Jesus, the central figure. Here in John 5, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and those around Him. He said, you search the Scripture looking for eternal life. And rightly so, really. But Jesus said, they testify of me. If you don't see me, you're going to miss eternal life. I didn't read for you verse 46 of chapter 5 of John, but listen to what he said. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. So all throughout the Old Testament, you see Jesus. Now, not only do we see Jesus in the Old Testament, 
But Jesus, as we think about who He is, the person of Jesus Christ, and that means His incarnation, Jesus is the God-man. If you was God and man, what would you look like? By the way, it wasn't a man becoming God. Jesus is God becoming a man. There's a difference. If you're God, you know what that means? You can forgive sin. Here in John 5, Jesus starts off, he's going to the pool of Bethsaida. There's a fellow there that's crippled. He can't get out. They say there, there's healing waters there in the pool. He's close to the temple, and yet he's still crippled. Nobody can help him. And Jesus heals him. And then later, you know what he tells him? Sin no more. In other words, Jesus is basically alluding your sin has put you in this position. Now that's not always the case. Everybody that's crippled is not crippled because of sin. But in this case, it appears to be so. Jesus has the power to forgive sin. We see in Mark chapter 2, a group of friends trying to bring their friend who's crippled to Jesus. They want him to be healed. They can't get to Christ. So they end up climbing a roof and lowering their friend down. And Jesus looks at him. He's just amazed at their faith. And he tells him, your sins are forgiven. And you know what the people around him say? Nobody can forgive sin but God. That's right. Jesus is God. He claims to be God. And you read throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, Jesus is God. When Peter makes the great confession, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus doesn't deny it. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But God has. Jesus is God. And if you're God, you can forgive sin. Not only do you forgive sin, but if you're God, you can heal. Now, here in this chapter, in John chapter 5, the verses that we read, Jesus mentions three witnesses, three ways that you can know who He is. First, He mentions, I read this in verse 36, but I have a greater witness than John. Earlier, He'd been talking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a witness to who Jesus is. But He says there's, some, there's something greater than John's witness, and that is the works which the Father has given me to finish. Here's what it is. It's the miracles that Jesus do. Those miracles help to prove who Jesus is. By the way, miracles, whenever you see them in the Bible, those miracles remind us of a few things. One, miracles prove Jesus is the Christ. Two, whenever Jesus did a miracle, Jesus was making a commitment to the cross because the reason that He did those miracles were from the authority that would come from the cross. And so every miracle Jesus did was a commitment that He was making out of love to go to the cross for us. And every miracle that Jesus does gives us a glimpse of heaven. You see, when Jesus healed the blind, there is no blindness in heaven. When Jesus healed the lame, there is no people that are lame in heaven. He gives us a glimpse of heaven. He gives us a glimpse of eternity. Miracles. 
Jesus, when he started his ministry back in Luke chapter 4, he was in the synagogue in Capernaum. They gave him a copy of the Isaiah. Jesus turns there. Isaiah, it's chapter 61, and Jesus begins reading, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to recover sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus then closed it. And here's what He said. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in front of you. Because that's who He is. That's the things that Jesus did. Jesus healed the sick, and in doing so, fulfilled Scripture. So Jesus said, basically, there's three witnesses. There's John the Baptist. There's the miracles and things that I'm doing. And then there's the Word of God, which we just looked at in the Old Testament. And they all proclaim that Jesus, who He is. So Jesus, the God-man. If you're the God-man, what's that mean? It means you can forgive sin. It means you can heal the sick. It means that you have authority over nature. So Jesus could calm storms. Jesus had authority over demons. And so when they brought people that were demon-possessed to Him, He cast out those demons. Jesus is both God and man, and His life proved that. Who's Jesus? Jesus fulfills the very plan of God. That's why when Jesus is looking at the, the Pharisees here and, he's, and He says to them, the Scriptures testify of me. And then in, uh, in verse 40 He says, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. Scripture is about me. It testifies me, but you're, you're missing it. Because Jesus fulfills the plans of God. They need to be able to stop and look at Jesus' life. If they stopped and looked at his life, they would see the plan of God, and here's what it is. Jesus lived a perfect life. Perfect. You know, somebody once said Adam and Eve were once perfect. They weren't. Adam and Eve, before the fall, were innocent. But temptations test, prove who we are, and they failed. Jesus was tempted in every way like us. But guess what? Jesus was perfect in His thoughts. Jesus was perfect in His actions. Jesus was perfect in His words. In other words, Jesus was sinless. Paul wrote this. He said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, To him that knew no sin, he became sin, so that we may be made righteous in him. Jesus knew no sin. He was sinless. He was perfect. Now, once you come to Christ, are you perfect? No. You're found righteous in Christ, but you're not perfect. Am I perfect? Oh, no. Not even close. But I can tell you this, I am changed. I'm not the same person I would be without Christ. Oh, I can tell you I am forgiven. And I can tell you I do have peace because I am a child of God and I know where I'm going. But Jesus is the perfect, the perfect Lamb of God. And because of that, 
Jesus is able to become our sacrifice. Here's what Jesus said in, in Luke 19.10. He basically telling you why he came to earth. He said, I've come to seek and to save those that are lost. Those that don't have a relationship with God, I've come to seek and to save them. I've come so that they can know me. In Matthew 1.21, there you have Jesus' birth. Gabriel talks to Joseph. And Gabriel, he says this about Jesus. He said, you shall call his name Jesus. The word Jesus means Savior. It's telling you something about who Jesus is. And here, then he says this, because he shall save his people from their sin. That's the reason he came, to be a Savior, to be a sacrifice. And then Jesus becomes the perfect priest. They needed to be able to take a look at Jesus because He's the one. The priest is the go-between, the mediator between God and man. And Jesus did that just on the cross. As Jesus spoke on the cross and He said, Father, forgive them. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is basically the mediator. He's reaching up to God with one hand, to man with the other hand, and He's being able to reconcile us. Father, forgive them. Have a relationship with them. Bring them back into the fold. Jesus was the perfect priest. Now somebody would say, I just wish when it come to Christ that I could believe this. I mean, it sounds so good, but how do you know that it's true? That Jesus is all these things? Well, there's one thing that certainly confirms it, and that is the resurrection. We celebrate the resurrection every Easter. We celebrate it every Sunday, but the resurrection confirms who Jesus is. Paul said this in Romans 1.4. He said that Jesus is de he de was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. The resurrection declares who Jesus is. It confirms that Jesus was born of a virgin. How do you know Jesus was born of a virgin? take somebody's word for it? Well, the resurrection confirms it because He's the God-man. The Scriptures are true, and the resurrection proves it. The resurrection proves He was sinless. Sin brings death. Nobody could be able to, to conquer death unless they were sinless. The resurrection proves Jesus is sinless, that He's God, that He's virgin-born. The resurrection proves that Jesus does have the authority. The authority is in Him to be able to forgive. Here in John chapter 5, Jesus a few verses earlier, you know what He talks about? He warns them of judgment. And He warns them that He is going to be the judge. And one day there's going to be, and He names two different resurrections. One of life and one of condemnation. And Jesus... By His own resurrection, He has the authority to give life and to give eternal life. And those that face the resurrection of life are those that are Christians. Those that have accepted His forgiveness. Those who've had their sin paid for on the cross and have been washed in His blood. Those that have rejected that are those that will be raised at the resurrection of condemnation, where they'll basically have to answer for their sins. There's two different resurrections. 
And the question is, which one are you going to be a part of? The answer is, whatever you've done with Jesus Christ. Because the truth of the matter is, the Bible is about Christ. History is about Christ. And without Christ, you're in trouble. You see, this is a series on what we believe. And we believe that Jesus Christ is the very Son of God. That Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. That Jesus Christ is the only answer for eternity. The only way you can be saved and the only way you can have a relationship with God. There is no other name given among men whereby I must be saved. None. It's only Christ. Only Jesus. Now this morning, you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have an opportunity to be able to come and receive Christ. Basically, there's two things that you need to do. One, repent. We're sinners, and we need to turn from our sin, return from our lifestyle. Turn away from it. That's repentance, turning away and turning toward Christ. And then the second thing is putting my faith in Christ, what He's done upon the cross. By faith, allowing Him to be the Lord, the one in control of my life, the authority of my life. As Christians, we didn't know what we believe. Do you really believe that Jesus is the Christ? Let me ask you something. Do people believe that you believe? Do they know you believe? Because if they do, they can see it in your life. And as a Christian, we may want to be able to say, Lord, I want to rededicate myself because I'm not so sure I've been living for you. I want to rededicate. I want to honor you. And I want people to know that I'm a Christian and I'm living for you. Jesus is the only way. Maybe you're a Christian. You've not been very faithful in sharing Christ with others. We're going to give you a chance to come this morning. Let's take a moment and let's have prayer. Lord, I thank you for each person that's here this morning. A chance to study your word. I really pray that you would bless this time. Lord, help us. Maybe some have had their doubts, but may you just confirm to them the truth of Scripture, that Jesus is what it's all about. So Lord, I pray that you would just bless this time. May your will be accomplished, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.